Smart Counsel is sponsored by the Masters in Counseling program at Multnomah University in Portland, Oregon. Reese Basimio is a counselor at New Pattern Counseling in Gresham, Oregon, who specializes in gender, sexuality, addiction, and spirituality. Ben Poling is a counselor in Portland, Oregon, who specializes in sexual addiction and identity at a New Day Counseling Center. Welcome to Smart Counsel, making friends while adulting. Smart Council provides perspectives and resources on spirituality, mental health, addictions, relationships, and trauma, and occasionally the traumatic relationships. I'm Reese Basimio. I'm Ben Poling. And we are once again joined in the studio by Tara Lynn Rayburn. Hi, guys. How's it going? We're good. Thank you again. Thank you again, Tara Lynn, for joining us. And, and again, quick reminder for those of us who would be interested in... Um, Checking out voyageandserenity.com for sober companions. In a few words or less, what, uh, what is the service that you offer to the mental health world? Yeah, we do case management, um, sober companion work, um, coaching and interventions. So working with families a lot, taking people to and from treatment, um, sometimes living with people full time, sometimes intermittently with therapy or other outpatient. Um, just kind of meeting people in the home environment to add to their recovery support system. Um, and we do work with a variety of mental health disorders as well as addiction issues. Awesome. So voyageandserenity.com, check it out right away. And then right after that, check out patreon.com slash smart council and learn about how you can become a dollar contributor to smart council podcast. We do appreciate your dollar love. Also your five-star rating love. Thank you. So today we are um, continuing a, a conversation around relationships. You know, we um, had a had an episode about relationships specifically in an early recovery context. Uh, so today we're back to talk about relationships in general. Well, not just in general, specifically relationships as adults. I, uh, I see some cringing happening uh, around and <laughs> with good reason, I think. What are relationships as adults? What, what is, is that this mean? thing? <laughs> what is this thing? It's yeah. a unicorn. Right. Uh, in particular, the, the non-sexual, non-romantic friendship. Uh, so that's kind of what we're after. Yes, not the romance. That's kind of its own beast. Um, in particular, I'm interested in exploring, well, what is it that makes it hard to be friends with people? And part of the part of the part of part of my noticing is that uh, many of us, when we're kids, we're dropped into a school setting, and w- you know whether we want to or not, we are surrounded by people. And granted, there's a lot of ways this can go wrong and go badly, but for for a lot of us, there's just kind of this built-in socialization time, and there's a lot of friendships that come in, and there's like, but but there's this built-in context where. We have time together. We have things to do together. We, and as kids, a lot of the times, we don't have the same hangups or insecurities or stigmas or barriers or things to prove as we do as adults. And so there's a lot of, a lot of ways that as kids, friendships just happen and grow a lot more easily. And some of that carries forward into, you know, college also. Um, now, asterisk, asterisk. I was also the homeschool kid who like wasn't around people. So I was kind of an exception to this rule. And there definitely are exceptions to this rule. And there's all sorts of like societal 
privilege dynamics that factor into this also also trauma and also bullying so it's not so <laughs> it's not a perfect premise but the the idea is that um by the time we get to adulthood we've picked up a whole lot of baggage around relationships and friendships and um by the time we get into like our 30s and are like hey i'd like to make a friend where do i start what's a friend i'm scared what do i do and that's a little bit what i'm interesting um what i'm interested in exploring um now that I put this premise out, what do you, Ben Turlin, what do you notice or what do you observe around this? Yeah, you know, I think the the main thing, the first thing that came up, you know, talking about kids being in school and having friends um, and just like kind of naturally being forced into that, right? You know, as adults, our version of that is the workplace. But when we get done at the workplace, we're like, no, I don't want to see any of these people <laughs> the rest of my, you know, free time, I want to decompress and forget this place for a little bit. Um, so that's kind of a added challenge, you know, and then kids, right? Um, time, you know, all of those things become, um, and then of course the baggage, you know, like I have to talk to this person. Ugh. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. I think there's, there's so many things that get in the way of relationships as adults. Um, I think a big thing that comes to mind for me is just the uh, Western culture of individuality. And so we're, you know, very much um, taught to be be able to take care of ourselves and be individual and, you know, and, and not rely on other people. So then, you know, if, if we have close relationships and, and things, you know, it's looks like we're not as independent and able to adults our you know ourselves and and things like that and so you know there's this this tendency to feel like I you know I'm not allowed or I shouldn't have a lot of close relationships because then it, I don't look as mature or capable um whereas then you know you isolate yourself from from people and and become very independent but then you're just lonely and depressed all the time because you don't have any friends something about that hyper autonomous individual life just doesn't quite work out the way we want it to all of the time right and then there's also i mean speaking of culture there's this uh i don't know uh praise around busyness you know if you know you talk to somebody like hey how are you busy and that's like oh wow okay that's that's a good thing like you you know you're supposed to be busy you're supposed to and so then you know you don't have time for people for relationships and you know and so that's another aspect of kind of the culture that we're in that creates this distance between people there's a whole lot there that I, that I want to explore a little bit but but parenthetically to that as we're talking about what are some of the barriers facing adults in relationships um what are specific challenges facing facing women and facing men and and making again making the the non-sexual non-romantic friendships in, in adulthood uh Terilyn, what do you think yeah i mean um being a woman here, I'm, right. kind of, I'm kind of an expert in this group on being a woman. <laughs> um, you know, I think I loved what you said about busyness, because I think that that is so huge for the idealized um, woman, right? To be like, 
busy and doing for her family and juggling everyone's things and um, taking time for yourself, um, I think a lot of times is interpreted as being selfish, you know, rather than like doing for your kids or um, whatever it might be. And so I think that that's like a huge barrier. Um, and, you know, I think there's also a, a huge thing that kind of happens, uh, especially, I don't know, I think the advent of social media has really like perpetuated this where there's like this competition between sexes or like, yeah, like hashtag mom life, hashtag blah, blah, look how perfect my life is that it really builds this like external thing up um, that makes it hard to break down about to uh, have healthy relationships that are really vulnerable. Um, yeah, you know, I think for me, for example, like all of my friends have kids except for me. And so I have to like schedule like this like monthly girls night every the first Friday we have girls night. Everyone has their kids babysat, you know. Um, and so like we're able to work around it, but it's definitely a lot of work and it's really easy to get dragged into the kind of um, busy making tasks that we're also accompanied to, you know. I, I, I do. I like the man version of that. But but in, in what you're talking about, I mean, you mentioned there's for, for, for women, a lot of expectations to juggle a lot of things like, you know, have a career, but also have a family and, you know, be be pretty and be sexy, but don't be vain and like all, a whole lot of a whole lot of ridiculous things. But but all that to just point out, there's like a lot of a lot of stigmatizing shame oriented narratives that we all are aware of even on a very instinctive level. And that can be kind of crushing if we think about them or don't think about them. Um, so, yeah. And something that I hearing there is, you know, this, uh, need to kind of look good, you know, like, you know, the Facebook life, the Instagram life, you know, you're posting all, all the great moments and, and good things happening in your life. And so then other people looking at that are like, well, I mean, my life isn't like that. I, how could I be friends with that person? You know, really, because, you know, I, I, I'm not like that. I think it, it creates this, this tendency to, you know, cause in, in good relationships, you need to have vulnerability, you know, and, and connection and things. And that doesn't happen if you're all just kind of, you know, putting forward your best, you know, looking pictures and stories, uh, without any of the tough stuff. Yeah. I often have to remind my clients and I have to remind myself too, to never compare your internal experience to someone's out external experience, Absolutely. especially the curated Instagram trickery. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. All the filters you can put on. Yeah. Oh, the filters. Yeah, yeah, totally. What are, um, then what do you think are some challenges that specifically face men yeah. in making friendships? Specifically for men. Um, well, I think the, um, some of the things that we, we talked about are amplified a little bit more, uh, for men, um, in particular, like kind of being, uh, having to be, uh, kind of in individual, like capable of doing things on your own. Um, I think in the culture of masculinity, you know, you, you have to be able to be, be a man, be, you know, and that, that means doing things on your own by yourself, you can, you can take care of anything that you need to on your own and which leads to, you know, being isolated and not, not relying on other people and, 
And then, you know, another aspect that I see is, you know, the, the um, lack of emotional vulnerability. Um, you know, men are very much taught that, you know, emotions are bad. You don't, you shouldn't feel them. And if you do feel them, you shouldn't express them um, unless they make you look more powerful or macho. So, you know, anger and, and those sorts of emotions, you know, those are more okay, but like, don't be sad, don't be uh, hurt, don't be any of those things. And, you know, what we know about relationships is, you know, sharing emotions, sharing, you know, that that inner world is what helps to deepen ties between people, deepen connection. And so I think that, you know, that's really a struggle why, you know, I think a lot of guys might have a lot of sort of surface level friends, but none that they really feel really close to because, you know, it's, it's so hard to push down and talk about those vulnerable parts. Very much so. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of conditioning that goes into um, men being strong and men being independent, men being capable. Which I mean, nothing wrong at all with being capable. I mean, I'd like to build my own capabilities in some things, like learn how to change my oil. But <laughs> <laughs> but but part of the hazard is that when your worth gets tied up in your capability, and also when those capabilities become kind of a shield against any any other sort of connection. Like, I mean, we've been talking a lot about um, this hesitancy to, to really be, be, be vulnerable mm-hmm. or um, this hesitancy to just flat out say, you know, dude, I need you. Like, I need I need time. I need attention. I need affection uh, of some sort. Mm-hmm. And it's been I, I think it might have been uh, Rob Weiss who mused um, about I mean, he's comparing um, straight culture to gay culture, but talking about how men and men in general, where we tend to be a little bit more conquest oriented, task oriented rather than connection oriented, uh, which can model up relationships because we have this tendency to, you know, want to one up each other or like, you know, it's very like solution focused. It's like, yeah, <laughs> like, let me prove I'm better than you and then I'll be safe, <laughs> uh, which that tends to not create safety. It tends to create more and more distance. I think, and so, so, so I definitely see that, see those barriers where, where, I mean, we have all of this internal narrative saying like, don't have need, don't have vulnerability, don't have emotion. And, you know, meanwhile, like have Instagram and have this perfectly curated life, which, you know, you get two people's like perfectly curated lives, but like their actual selves are like, you know, several layers behind that and not actually seeing each other being seen or getting what they need. So there's, there's all that. And then. In addition to all of that, there's just like the sheer logistics of, of life too. Like, uh, delightfully, I have a couple good guy friends who are, you know, platonic friends who, I mean, we, when we get together, I mean, we we do the deep thing. We do the vulnerability, the intimacy, the like, you know, I know everything about you. Um, but that's like once every six weeks um, for like 50 minutes because I show up late. And it, there's just the sheer logistics of, you know, we have jobs. A lot of us have partners. Some of us have kids, you know. Uh, some of us, you know, don't have family, but we have like 6,000 projects or there's just all of the demands on our time. And, um, and then when we tend to be like really entertainment oriented versus like actually being just present with each other, that confuses things also. For sure. Yeah. I think it's a lot of like asking ourselves, how do I create this space, you know, for these relationships? And, and I think, you know, 
I know from my own experience, the most important part of this, you know, in the last year, my best friend became a mom. And then I have, you know, another friend who's a mom and I have my own company, right? So with this, I realized I need to schedule things for myself to to be able to even make it happen. But also, like, I need to have a conversation with these people and say, like, wow, this is what I'm needing. Like, I'm feeling sad because I'm not getting the time with you that I'm used to. And I really like want that and want that place to connect with you guys. Because when I have that, I feel filled up. You know, I feel kind of restored and ready to conquer what's um, coming up next. And so for me, that was kind of the advent of this like reoccurring girls night where it's just like it's happening and we're doing it no matter what. And from that, it's been really great to see other things have stemmed from that. You know, it's, um, you know, last night it was, oh, well, because we had talked at this girls night, um, then you know, then there's this other thing we want to do and things have kind of been able to flourish a little bit for that. So we could create some boundaries with all of those other really awesome things in our life, right? Our kids, our work, all of these things um, and have that kind of brief reprieve, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But that takes a lot of vulnerability to say, I need this space. It really does. Like, um, I, that's so powerful to, to say it, the, 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 I need you, I need this space there. There's a whole lot of vulnerability that goes into that, which is terrifying completely. <laughs> um, but, but also there, there's a whole lot of intentionality that goes into that. And, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad Terrilyn that you, you brought this up because this is the, you're, you're anticipating my next question. This is awesome. <laughs> yes. But the, a the, student. Yeah. <laughs> the question I wanted to explore is how do you deepen a relationship or put another way? how do you push past the acquaintance stage Mm. into developing like uh, an actual deeper friendship? And so, so you're talking about, um, you're telling the story about setting up the the ladies night and there's, there's logistical steps that go into that and some conceptual inner work that goes with that too. And, and, And I want to explore some of these other things, um, what you, what you've done in your personal relationships and what we can suggest to our clients that they do in their relationships, uh, one of the things I'm thinking is this idea of intentionality versus a spontaneity. I think there's this idea, and it's especially prominent in in some romantic relationships, but also in, in just casual friendships too, that friendship just happens. Uh, and again, it should be easy. It should be easy. And if I have to work for it, it's not really real, which again, on the schoolyard in fifth grade, that might be the case <laughs> because you're just, you're put there it's kind, you're kind of like given the friendship because you're given the environment in which for that to happen. Um, and so that might be true then, you know, 20, 30, 40 years later, it's not the case. Uh, and there, there's, a, I feel like there's very much a way waiting for a friendship to happen or wanting the spontaneous fun of a friendship or the air quotes, organic friendship is kind of a myth. Uh, relationships, they, they have to be made. They have to be, you, you kind of have to define them, have the dreaded DTR conversation and specifically say, I want to be friends with you. I would like more of you. I would like to do this or that or things like that. Yeah, I think that's so true. One thing that I was kind of playing around with it in my head, you know, thinking about both experiences I've had personally, and then also with clients, um, just being able to create that space for yourself. Um, an example being, um, 
you know, this summer and in recovery community that I come from, it's much easier a lot of times because people come together for specific things. But I think, um, for example, in the summertime, for me, I know it's easier. There's a lot of stuff to do. You can get outside um, doing kind of thing where you have a friend, I have a friend. Um, the three of us are all good friends. We're going to connect, do a rafting trip, and then everyone invite like four other people. And then you are committing to this thing that's three weeks from now. And then you're getting to like meet other people. Mm-hmm. So I think things like that for me are helpful because you're put in a situation where low barrier, low pressure, like I don't have to be your best friend because we're paddling this raft together. Right. But I get to like naturally engage in some conversations and Mm -hmm. see if we get along and um, then kind of decide if there's stuff that I want to do later on with you after that, like Mm -hmm. grab a cup of coffee, whatever. Um, yeah, I think like making like a natural barrier, natural and low barrier kind of setting is helpful. I like that very much. And, uh, well, I, I really like rafting, but, but, um, <laughs> but, but the idea of like, we'll actually get out and do something. Um, I have done a lot of my friendship making like in, in like a coffee shop context, mm-hmm. which is nice. And it's great to have those conversations there. There is kind of a way it it can kind of like get a little ingrown after a while because it's like, oh, we're just talking and talking, which is important. But at some point I'm like, I want to go on a walk with you. I want to go raft. I want to go climb a mountain. I want to like at least like, you know. Yeah, or like let's meet at the Rose Garden and yeah. go for a short walk on our lunch break. I think that yeah. when we're moving our bodies, we oftentimes have mm-hmm. a little bit different of an experience because we are, you know, connecting various yeah. parts of our brain and our body and there's a way too that working together is mm-hmm. important. So yeah. not 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 in a coworker sort of sense, but like we're going to labor over something together. Like, hey, I need to go do my yard work. Would you like to come along? Or hey, like let's go on this new mission trip together. Yeah. Or let's volunteer somewhere together. Or just like do a project or something. Um, Even a short hike, right? You're yeah. like, we do you think we go down this trail or this trail? What right. do you think? There's this like collaboration teamwork thing that's going on. Yeah. What do you think, Brent? Yeah. I like the I, idea that that um, you've done of yeah, inviting people to um, because of doing doing something together like like you guys were talking about is uh, is great. But I also think it really takes the pressure off and the awkwardness out of it because if you know if you're going to a meetup and the whole intention of this thing is to meet people and and stuff there's a lot more pressure and there's more awkwardness whereas if it's like you know that that's one of the intentions of this but the other intention is just to have fun and go rafting um you know that that takes a lot of that awkwardness and pressure off and 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 creates more ways to interact with people that, that aren't just like, Hey, what do you do for a living? And, uh, <laughs> what do you like to do for fun? You know, where, you know, it's, it's more dynamic and, and things. So I like that. Yeah. Something that I think of here, as far as, you know, how to, how to build relationships in, in adulthood, how to find that is I, I think, um, you, you have to be willing to take risks. Um, you know, you have to be willing to, to ask somebody if they want to go do something with you. Um, and you have to be willing to reward other people for taking risks. Um, you know, so when, when you see someone stepping out to, to try and connect with you, you know, not just saying you're busy, even if you are, you know, but, but actually trying to see if you can make that work for, you know, 
for the purpose of, of rewarding that and 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 not just saying yeah I, you know i recognize you're taking a risk here and you know shutting it down um you know because i yeah i think i think that's important if you're wanting if you're wanting relationships one you, you have to be willing to take the risks and um you have to be willing to maybe do things that aren't you know in in your comfort zone or something um to to create connection and, and deepen connection with other people mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think like going from that to kind of the acquaintance stage, right. Is, you know, for me, an example, it's, it's really easy to think of these examples for myself. Right. Um, but they also relate to clients. Um, you know, you have kind of a surface level friendship, but you know, there's kind of a connection with this person. Um, and then being able to ask yourself like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of having this experience right now and I'm feeling like it would be helpful to talk to this person. And, and so I get to do a lot of internal, um, questioning at that point and say to myself, you know, like, what would it look like if I called that person? What would happen? Like, what would be my experience, you know? Um, what would happen if I called that person right now and just asked how their day was going? You know, um, I think that that's like the next step of the acquaintance stage. That's like Mm -hmm. so scary for me, Mm -hmm. you know, like, okay, I know there's this connection, but now what, like now, how do I move this to the next, the next, how do I make this official? (laughs) But, and there's risk that's going to be a part of every step of the way. I think like you take the risk of showing up at whatever the activity is. uh, And you take the risk, you know, asking someone for the number, asking, do you want to hang out again? You take the risk of reaching out again. um, and, And then at some point, a relationship, a good one, it's, it's a balance of we do some things together and sometimes we sit and, and talk and be present with each other. And, and in the sit and talking phase or the talk while you're doing something phase, that's where a lot of the deepening can happen, I think. Um, I, I've always found in my relationships that the vulnerability begets vulnerability. Like if I take the risk to share something kind of personal about myself, I'm like the high, 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 high majority of the time, the other person has responded with something equally tender for themselves. Um, and the very few occasions where that hasn't happened, it's been like a really effective flag. Like, okay, I shared something. This person did not reciprocate. I'm going to put my efforts elsewhere. But generally speaking, by making myself vulnerable, saying, here's a need I have. Here's a struggle I have. Here's something stressful. Here's something dirty and grungy about my life. That creates a space for the other person to also be dirty and grungy. You know, essentially by, you know, taking off my metaphorical makeup and, you know, closing down my Instagram and being my real self that creates a space where the other person can do the same and then we can actually be together. And then, then, then when there's actual vulnerability, when there's actual skin in the game and it's not just like, Hey, let's tell jokes and be happy. Then it's actually a compelling relationship when you want to come back to you because you're like, Hey, something happened there. Something that doesn't normally happen. My attachment needs got met a little bit and I want more of that. And, and I feel like, your overall attractiveness is, I mean, it's nice to be a conventionally attractive person, but, but <laughs> your, your true attractiveness is going to come through like the, the quality of your character and like the, the fullness of the character that you can bring to an encounter. I think people are attracted to real people, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think that's the experience of, of both myself personally and, and the majority, well, all all of the people that I know and have worked with who have successfully done this, right, is when we're being our authentic self and, and showing that we're going to find other people who have a similar belief system, similar ideas, similar ways of operating in their life, 
and be able to make that comp- that connection. But it's going to take a little bit of risk. It's going to be uncomfortable. You know, the old saying of like, when you're uncomfortable, you grow. Um, unfortunately, it's super true. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> the hard thing is usually the right thing. Yeah, totally. So very quickly, by means of starting to, to wrap up, um, as clinicians, of various sorts in various contexts. What are ways, what are some specific ways we can support our clients in uh, connecting or making connections? Because I know we can definitely have a lot of conversation, which we should be doing anyway, but are there any specific tangible offerings we can do to support a client? Um, I, I know for me, one of one of my thoughts is like, I, I really strongly advocate group counseling for getting people together um, I mean, have a, you know, Ben, you and me, we have our, our recovery group and I have a couple other you know, men's process groups and kind of the whole point is to, like get guys together so they can do this relationship stuff. Uh, what are, what are some other venues or things that class clinicians can do to support our clients in this? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I think I make a lot of smart goals with people, you know, um, for example, being recently, we had a client and, um, this person shared that they had a connection with someone we recently had encountered. And I said, well, what would it be like if you asked that person to go on that hike you had really been liking, you know? And at first they kind of paused, <laughs> looked like deer in the headlights. Um, but they said, well, I guess that would be okay. And, and, you know, for me, I always put people on the spot. I, that's just how I am. I'm a straight shooter. So I said, well, why don't you get out your phone right now? Like, Let's do it right now together, like send that text, ask if that's a comfortable thing. And then then we've just created our own SMART goal because um, there's a specific date that this is happening now. And then we get to have a process and experience around that. And if it didn't go good, then we get to have a process around that, right? We get to really dive into what didn't work, um, what was gained from that experience, because even if it didn't go and meet your expectation, there's something to be learned in the process. And, and how can we utilize that in the future, for the next time you're going to get uncomfortable and, and try to reach out. Yeah. In one sense, there's no wasted encounters. You can learn something, grow from, from, from everything. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I like that. Um, and thinking about it, you know, I think, I think it's great as cl- clinicians to walk, walk through the process with, you know, the client and just process, you know, um, you know, some of the questions that I might ask a client is, you know, thinking about doing something like what's, what's the ideal, what would, you know, what would be the ideal outcome of whatever it is you're wanting to do, asking someone to go do something with you or, um, and what would be the worst case scenario? Um, and then also what's most likely to happen and then sort of being able to plan through like, you know, how, how would that feel? How would it feel for you if the worst thing happens? What would actually, what would that actually be like? What the experience be like? And et cetera, to just help think through like, you know, what are the what are the benefits and costs and things associated with that, um, and um, sort of well separately? Like I think it's also good to take into account and and talk with your client about their uh, attachment style and and how that relates and how they can help you know manage that in relationship with other people and you know how you know how the kind of negative parts of their attachment style might come out and uh, things like that and just helping them navigate through those different 
aspects of a relationship. Yeah. And kind of creating that like plan too. like, you know, we know from your experience that you might feel rejected if this person says A, B, and C. So what is your self-care plan going to look like if that happens? You know, hopefully it doesn't, but And then if it doesn't happen, what is your self-care afterwards? Because it still might be exhausting to go meet a new person, right? You know, for example, after this, it's great to collaborate with other professionals, but I know I'm going to be tired because I'm just giving of my thoughts and ideas. And so being able to identify for myself, like, I'm going to take it easy, right? And so we get to have that um, conversation with them to create, like, how you practice self-care after this interaction and and be prepared for what might come up for you. Mm. Yeah. Know yourself and know the tools that yeah. you have that available to take care of yourself. Yeah. Yep. For every, for every investment you make, be sure and you have a... A matching source of nurture mm. somewhere, um, which again, and there's there's a lot of challenges in developing that. It's where we're we're saying this thing like it's easy. It's it's definitely not easy. So it's it's a lot of work either way. But these are this is the important work of recovery of of addictions recovery of mental health recovery and of just good growing as people. So I I would definitely encourage you know people in general to always be talking about how to deepen their relationships and you know, especially for us doing doing counseling work of any sort. You know, relationships are at the center and foundation and edge of every sort of problem that we run into. And they're probably going to be a major part of any sort of cure and solution, too. So, you know, the more we can work on how to be healthy people in healthy relationships, that I think the more the more rich our work will be. Yeah. You know, and just one last thought I'd, I didn't want to end without saying it is, is that being able to encourage the people that we're working with to be authentic in their process. You know, for me, anytime I've had some sort of encounter and gone into it and I, I've said something such as, oh man, this feels like a friend date or, you know, kind of made light of the situation and experience I'm really having. Um, the person that I've interacted with has, has laughed or gotten it or engaged, you know, so that's a piece of the vulnerability is, is we can share that this journey is uncomfortable for us and what we're experiencing and, and see how we're able to collaborate with our potential new um, acquaintance in that. Yep. That's so essential to be human in the room. Yeah. Be a professional human, but a human nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Lynn, again for joining us yes. and for sharing your thoughts. And uh, dear listener, thanks for listening along. Um, please do uh, check out voyageandserenity.com and see if that would be a benefit to your clinical work or your personal life. And do visit uh, patreon.com slash smart See how you can become a supporter of the Smart Council show today or tomorrow. And we love it either way. Uh, do feel free to drop us feedback and comments on our Facebook page or at smartcouncilpodcast.gmail.com. We love your comments and critiques. Even if you disagree with us, it's, it's good, good dialogue. So let's keep the conversation going. We love your feedback and value the conversation. Please drop us a note at smartcouncilpodcast.gmail.com. Please also feel free to rate and review us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and anywhere your podcasts are hosted. Smart Council has been edited by Breakfast Puppies. Our logo is by Thomas Moore. The music was by Nate Bosford. Thank you for listening, and let's keep the conversation going. This podcast was edited and produced by breakfastpuppies.com.